Hey, this is Brent Ingersoll from King's Church. Thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. I pray that this message you're about to hear empowers you, encourages you, challenges you, and equips you to live the life that Jesus has for you. Thanks for tuning in. Many of you have probably heard the term crossing the Rubicon. You heard that term before? Uh, if you haven't, it's a term you probably will hear it at some point in your life. Uh, but you might not know where that comes from or even what it means. And to cross a Rubicon is in effect to go into, from one place into another where there's no turning back. Uh, it comes from a historical account where we're told, uh, his, history records that Julius Caesar, about 50 years before the time of Jesus, uh, had been winning wars up in this area called Gaul, and he, was, uh, he decided to move against Rome at the time and kind of overthrow it. And to cross the Rubicon was this northern river, this river that goes from east to west in Italy, to cross that river with an army was, in effect, a capital offense, and you were, if you stepped foot on the other side of the river, declaring war against Rome. And so when Caesar led his army across the river, that was him waging war against Rome, and there was no turning back. He knew, I was, I'm either going to win this and become the emperor, or I'm going to get killed. There's no turning back. And so that's what it means to cross a Rubicon. It's to come and to step into a space in which there's no turning back. Like the old is gone, it's passed away, and we're coming into a new space. That's what it means to cross a Rubicon. It is the ultimate term we use about moving forward, to cross the Rubicon. And I believe we have these moments in our lives, these Rubicon moments where we go from here to here. Uh, there are some that are super, superficial. There's certain things you just can't go back to. Uh, once you have a king-size bed, there's no turning back. Can I get an amen? Anybody? Let me just prophesy over all of you who have never experienced a king-size bed. Your king, your king size is coming. It's coming. But there's no turning back. There are some superficial Rubicons in our lives, though. That's, we're having fun. But there are, like, significant moments, these Rubicon moments we come to. You know, the, the day that you asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, that is the ultimate Rubicon moment. Uh, Maybe the day you got married, that's a Rubicon moment. Or when you became a parent, there's really no turning back. Once you have a child, you're always a parent. Whether you're a good parent or not, that's, that's no, there's no turning back. And I bring this up because I believe that the kingdom life and the life following Jesus looks like a series of Rubicon moments like throughout your life where he leads you, like we just read, from one degree of glory to another. And we are constantly in season faced with these moments where Jesus begins to draw a line and say, come, come this way. And we have these decisions to make where will we leave the past behind and step forward into a new day and a new space. And those of you who have been following Jesus for more than five years or ten years, you know that your life is a systematic sequence of Jesus leading us from glory to ever-increasing glory. And, and in my experience, I've found that these Rubicons get a little wider every time. I don't know about you. It's like a little bit more of a step. But this is a principle in the kingdom life, and I'm telling you this because it sort of goes not just with what God has put on my heart, but specifically what Matthew outlines here in his gospel telling the story about Jesus. For those of you who are just joining us, we're super glad you're here at one of our locations or online. But we have been journeying for the better part of two years on and off through the gospel of Matthew, and we've learned that Matthew's purpose is to get you and I to see Jesus for who he is or who Matthew claims he is. 
and who a lot of us believe he is, and that is he is the son of the living God, he is the Christ, and he has come on a mission to seek and save the lost, redeem and restore the whole world. No big deal. And so Matthew's been presenting this case, and we have learned that Matthew put the, the kind of the quintessential you know, apex moments of his gospel, not at the end, but in the middle, when it comes to showing the identity of Jesus. And so for the last several weeks, we've been in chapter 14, 15, 16. And all of these have these glimpses as though Matthew is telling the story on purpose, saying, look, behold Jesus, this is who he is. And then last week, of course, we heard uh, the, the continuation, of the last two weeks actually, in Matthew 16, of Jesus uh, asking the disciples, who do you say I am? And, and they, Peter responds, you're the Christ. And, and his identity is out there now. But we have this last stop before Jesus turns the corner and starts to head toward Jerusalem where he would ultimately fulfill his purpose. And Matthew is trying to get you to see something in this curious and unimaginable account of Jesus being transfigured of them seeing his glory. And Matthew gives us this picture, and it's supposed to show us a couple things. First, we're supposed to see in here, first and foremost, the full scope of Jesus' identity. It tells us that he was transfigured and his glory is shining, and then all of a sudden, Moses and Elijah in some supernatural mystery the gospel writers go into no explanation as to how, were they ghosts, were they embodied, we don't know. All they knew was that's Moses and that's Elijah and they're having a chat with Jesus. This is the craziest thing I have ever seen. And so their minds are being blown. They're seeing Matthew and, and they're seeing Moses and Elijah. And this is a picture, a prophetic picture of Jesus being the fulfillment of those two offices. Moses represents the law. Elijah represents the prophets, and Jesus is the fulfillment of all the law and all the prophets. And this is what Matthew's wanting you to see in, in this transfiguration account, that Jesus is the point. Notice what the, the voice in the cloud said. We just read it. He didn't say, look at these three guys. They're all heroes. He said, this is my son. Listen to him. The focus is on Jesus and, and Elijah and Moses are there at his right and left hand, but it shows us this picture of Jesus coming, God in the flesh, the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. If you want to know what the Bible's about, it's about a person. It's about Jesus. And this whole Old Testament's pointing to this moment, this man on this mountain transfigured before them. You're with me. Stay with me because we're going to get to what I think the Lord's wanting to say, but I want to make sure you don't miss what Matthew is explicitly saying. He's saying this is the Christ, this is God in the flesh. And then this is also pointing to the way in which the Messiah came to save. Now last week, Pastor Don tackled a very challenging text. I, 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 feel, I always give Don the hard ones, so thank you, Pastor Don. But this, this idea where Jesus confronts Peter and says, I have come to actually give my life, and I'm going to be crucified, and I'm going to die. And this vision of Jesus on top of this mountain speaks into that, and it speaks into the nature of Jesus' purpose to come and offer his life for the mission of God on the earth. But specifically, there's a clue in there when we see Elijah and Moses. Elijah and Moses both offered their lives for God, and they were two people in the Old Testament that we don't have a record as to them ever really actually dying. God just took them. 
And again, this speaks to the resurrection nature that's coming up. That Jesus is not going to be killed in the way we think he's killed and conquered. He doesn't doesn't get conquered. He gives his life. Make no mistake. But now number three, and this is where I want to land today. So this is really what Matthew is saying in in this account. But this is really where I want to land today because I've been asking the Lord all week long, Lord, what are you saying specifically in this text to us today? And what is it you want us to hear? And I believe we see a very clear picture of how we as disciples are supposed to orientate ourselves to the Christ. I want to give you just a couple ideas as to what I think God is saying to his church right now. I want to park here. And I want us to ask the question, how do we align ourselves moving forward? Because I believe right now, and I want you to hear me, and I say this with with grace, but truth as well. I believe we, the church of Jesus Christ here in the West, I can at least speak for King's Church, We are in a Rubicon moment where God is leading us into a new place and a new day, and we have got to have ears to hear and be aligned appropriately if we are going to experience what God has for us. We are actually coming into a brand new day, and this Rubicon season has been happening since 2020, in my estimation. Somewhere in 2020, God began to, that this happened all over the world, but I'm talking specifically for the people of God in the church. How many of you have felt over the last few years, whether it's through a various circumstances or just the global issues going on, you felt a narrowing of the path of following Jesus? You felt that? You've probably had moments or many, many, many moments of refinement in your own life. Pruning. Where, where it's as though God is pushing us into a new place. And I have been seeing that happen over the last few years. He has been refining and consolidating his church. Amen? He really has. We've seen many people fall away during COVID. That their type of Christianity was not fit for the journey ahead. And they backed away. They fell away. Now we're praying, thank, thank God, God is a prodigal, loving God, and they're going to come back in Jesus' name. But I don't want you to miss this, that there has been a refining nature of what God has been doing in his church over these last few years. And we have seen the Lord, I think this is the Lord's doing. He is spitting out of his mouth lukewarm, half-hearted consumer Christianity. Let me say it again. He is spitting lukewarm, divided, half-hearted Christianity out of his mouth in the West. People whose heart are not after him have been and are falling away. And you're just seeing this happen. As well, we are seeing renewal and refinement come. How many of you have noticed in your own life, or maybe even in our church if you've been paying attention, There has been refinement and there has been a refilling. There has been this sense of new fruit and new life and renewal beginning to happen. And I believe this is the hand of God on our behalf doing it right now. We are in a Rubicon moment. I just want to say that for you to hear. I feel like the Spirit's going to maybe prompt your spirit to understand in ways that I can't articulate. But I, I, I tell you, God is moving his church into a new space and a new day. He really is. And the church that we left behind in 2019 no longer exists. And the type of Christianity that I left behind and you left behind and are leaving behind, God is moving us forward. And I want us to look again at this text and ask God, what are you saying to us, your people, as you are, as it were, 
tapping us on the shoulder and saying, come, follow me, come up here. How do we need to orientate ourselves as the people of God right now? And I have three observations for you. Let's look back at the text. It tells us after six days, Jesus tapped three of the disciples. So we only have Peter, James, and John. They, they were the only ones that went. I don't know if he asked all of them to go or if he just selected the three. We aren't told that. All I know is a portion of his followers went for this journey. And they, they went with Jesus up this mountain and they followed him. And this incredible thing happens where he is transfigured before them and they experience, these disciples, the glory of God. Now, think about how amazing this moment would have had to have been for them to just be so awestruck. How many of you know, like, anybody just like, you've taken, your kids have experienced things in your life that you look at them and you're like, you are so lucky and you don't even know it. Back when I was a kid, we had one channel. <laughs> right? Or you've been to Disney and all those things. And, and like, you can, you can, like, glorious things in, in this world can kind of get old fast, Right? Think how spoiled the disciples would have been by this time. Like, oh, what would it take to impress Peter? He'd seen Jesus walk on water, calm storms, cast out demons, raise the dead, feed the thousands. Like, the bag's pretty full of incredible things they've seen Jesus do. And yet, they have this moment that is unlike any other, like any Spinal Tap fans here. It's as though God dials his glory all the way up to 11 that was for like six people in the room. Okay. <laughs> His glory just explodes and the veil is removed and they have this moment in the glory of God right there, the glory of God emanating from the God-man Jesus and they are absolutely and utterly undone and overwhelmed and transfixed by it. And their response to the glory of Jesus here is very consistent with the rest of the scriptures when you see like the unbridled, like the, the veil removed and someone has an encounter with the glory of God, you see the same response. There's, there's a few things that happen every single time. Those who see a lot of the glory of God, first and foremost, it's intimidating. Like it says to the disciples, when the cloud came and the voice boomed, they fell down as though dead. And this is what happens when the glory of God gets, gets turned up. There's this intimidating nature the best way I would describe it, like if you, if you look in the scriptures, all the, all the scriptures where you see the glory of God, everybody in the presence of the glory of God, there is an intimidating factor. Like you read Isaiah 6, these angelic creatures that if they appeared before you and I right here or in one of the rooms we're gathered today, we would all be terrified and we would hit the deck. Those creatures in the presence of the glory of God, it says they cover their eyes and they cover their feet. There's an intimidating nature to the glory of God. The best way I would describe it, I don't know who I heard say this first, but I've used it and it helps me. Have you ever stood on a precipice of a cliff or maybe you were on the back of a boat out in the ocean and you had a sudden rush of your own mortality? Ever had that moment? Like, whoa, I could die. Ever had that? that that's the feeling that, that accompanies the glory. There is this humbling realization of our creatureness in front of the uncreated one. That's when the glory gets turned up, and this is what you see. You see also, simultaneously with this almost compulsion to hide and get away from the glory, you also have this gravitational, but I can't leave. 
There is this transfixed nature that people have when the glory of Jesus, the glory of God shows up. They can't, they can't leave. They're just, they're undone and yet they're filled up by it. This is why when you read in Isaiah 6, you read it in Revelation, that like those creatures that are the closest to the glory, it tells us that day and night, forever and ever and ever and ever, all they say is, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Now you and I look, look at that and we say, that would get boring after a while. Wouldn't you? I, I think that, so no, no judgment. But that's because we don't understand the glory of God like that. They are completely wanting voluntarily to be there in the presence. It's that sweet. It's that good. It's that life-giving. And this is what you see happen when the glory of God gets dialed up. And then, of course, you also see, and you see this with the disciples, they fell down as though dead. There is a level of just being undone and incapacitated when the glory of God gets dialed up. And you see this, this, this picture and these disciples have this encounter with the glory of God. Now, my prayer is even as I'm preaching, there is something stirring inside of your spirit that God is rousing your spirit. And there's something saying inside of you, I was made for that. And there is a glory that all the glories of the world just simply fall short of. All they're doing, the glory of nature. Like, I love that they go on the highest mountain in Israel. It was either Mount Tabor or Mount Hermon. And it was like a spectacle just to be there. Israel is gorgeous. It's one of these incredible works of God's artistic expression and glory. It, the land cries out the glories of God. And yet, in light of the glory of Jesus, nobody's caring about the view. They're just like, all of this just points to your glory. The glories of Man and the glories of nature and the glories of creation, they just, they just scratch the surface of the glory, the real glory of King Jesus. And this is this experience these guys have. And I pray that right now you're hearing what the Spirit is saying to the church because I believe this is what the Spirit is inviting us all into, that he's calling the hungry to come up here. Like right now, I try, I try to picture, like were the disciples camping at the foot of the mountain and Jesus gets up early and he whispers to Peter, James, and John, he says, come on up, come, come up here, I want to show you something. I feel like that is happening right now in the church. And that the Spirit of God is whispering to those who are listening, I want to show you something different. I want to show you something greater. I want to show you my glory in a way that you never imagined. And this is one of the things that God has been pressing on my heart in this Rubicon moment we are in. Moving forward, hear me, people of God. You must continually and increasingly pursue more of Jesus. The increased experience of the glory of Jesus. My prayer for you today, and I feel like the Spirit is doing this, that he awakens an appetite and a hunger that will not settle for anything less than the glory of Jesus. Like, I need the real thing. None of this counterfeit crap that we have settled for for so long. Celebrity can't do it, and success can't do it, and having money can't do it, and travel can't do it. All of those things are just pointing to the real thing that is Jesus. And there's an invitation right now to come higher. And the question is this. Who in the people of God are willing to get up and pursue Jesus up the mountain. 
And that looks different for all of us in different seasons, but the invitation is the same. Every single one of you under the sound of my voice today, I know for sure the Spirit is tapping you saying, come, come, I want to show you more. I want to show you more of my glory. I want to show you more of my goodness. There are, there are dimensions to my glory that you never imagined possible. And I believe God is doing that. And I think he's been, I think he's been rousing us for a while in this. Have, have you been sensing this or is it just me? If it's just me, I'll, I'll, I'll pack it up. Is there a witness in the room? Somebody, Halifax. Like God has been stirring up an appetite in us. And you don't have to be a longtime Christian to sense this. There's just this pregnancy in his church right now. Where we just have this sense that he's, he's calling us to something higher and yet deeper and more substantive and more like him and more glorious. This is what I believe God is doing. And this is what he's inviting us to. And we're seeing pockets and glimpses. We felt it this morning in worship. Do you feel that moment after we finish singing just like this pause of, Jesus, you're so glorious. This is what the Spirit is doing in his church. And there's, there's a bunch of ways he's doing it. He's doing it through our own sense and our own encounters. He's doing it through these corporate moments we're having. And then he's also doing it through unique moments all around the world that we're starting to see happen. There's these little outpourings happening all over the world, particularly they've been happening in Asia. There's amazing things happening in Asia, amazing things happening in Africa, South America. But we're starting to see little drips of God pouring his glory out on his people here in the West. Just these little moments, these little pockets. And I went and explored one last week. Pastor Dan and Jay and Anthony and I, we went to, to Wilmore, Kentucky uh, to meet with the faculty and leaders of what is now called the Asbury Outpouring. Anybody hear about this? About half of you? Back in February in Asbury, Kentucky at a, a Christian university, uh, sleepy winter chapel service. Half the student body were there, half weren't, and the ones that were there were probably half asleep. And the guy got up and just preached a very ordinary sermon, released the kids to go back to class, and the whole student body went back to class except for 13 kids, 13 kids, who just had this, this hunger rattling in their soul, and they said, I, I just can't leave. I just want to stay. I just got to stay for a minute. And then a minute turned into 10 minutes, and then turned into an hour, and then by the end of that hour, God began to manifest his presence and glory in that room in such a way that kids who were in class began to be moved. Uh, like tears started coming. And they had this like just this, this, this burden inside. Like, I, gotta, I gotta go back. And they voluntarily all around campus just started flooding into the room. And they began to just Bask in the presence of the glory of Jesus. And an hour turned into 10 hours, and then it went into the night, and hundreds turned into several thousand kids who were there, and then there was, they were even lined up out the door waiting to get in. And one night turned into two nights, turned into five nights, turned into 10 nights, turned into 16 days round the clock where not just tens of thousands, there was 100,000 people drawn to come into that little room. Y'all, that town is smaller than the town of Sussex. It brought the town infrastructure to its knees. They ran out of water. The sewage got backed up. Like, that town was not built for that type of population. And yet the glory of God was manifest so powerfully that people were fighting through all the barriers. They were standing in line eight to ten hours just to get in the room. 
And as I listened to the faculty talk about it, they're like, I can't describe it other than this. Jesus manifested his glory. When you walked in the room, you had the sense that he was there and he had full command on the room. And there was no plan, no order. There was no fancy worship, like big name leaders or preachers. In fact, there were some famous people who flew in there, famous worship leaders and famous preachers. And the kids, these Gen Z kids are like, yeah, we don't need you. They just stirred up and stayed in that posture for 16 days. It was incredible to hear the testimonies, like of just people being set free from bondage and addiction. I'm going to talk more about that next week. But the the number one thing was just this desire to be there in his presence, to experience his glory. They, over and over, they said it was uncanny. People would come out those doors, and they would talk to somebody in line. They'd say, how long were you in there? And they'd look at their watch, and they'd say, well, I, I thought it was 45 minutes but it was eight hours. Their sense of time just disappeared in the glory of Jesus like that. And I'm telling you this because I think the Spirit of God is inviting his people to chase after a greater measure of his glory. Like, does that make you hungry? It makes me hungry. Like, I want to experience that. Like, I have tasted and seen and experienced the glory of God. And you know what that does? It, doesn't, it makes you not want to settle. It makes you hungry for more. Like, I want, it. I want to experience something deeper. And I feel like the Spirit of God is saying, come all who are hungry. And if I can give you any gift, and just in partnership with the Holy Spirit today, is say, like, just speak to your soul. Get hungry for the glory of God. Get hungry for more. You who have been following Jesus for decades, like, he's not done wowing you. You who just started following Jesus and you think it can't get any better than this. Oh, you just wait. He's leading us from glory to ever-increasing glory. This is the invitation. But I believe, hear me, and I say this with fear and trembling. There is a moment of separation being drawn in the church. There is an inner-out nature of this season. And God is giving time. It's been a process but there will be people who do not come forward. And, and you know what the dividing line is? It's not whether you're young or old. This isn't, God's not just moving in Gen Z, although I am loving what God is doing in Gen Z, but it's not divided by young or old. It's not divided by rich or poor. It's not divided by old Christians or new Christians. It's not divided by good Christians or bad Christians. It's simply hungry or not. The hungry are moving forward. Do you hear the invitation? And I, like, I'm telling you, God is inviting you into more. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Here's, here's the other thing I feel like the Spirit is saying. Are you with me? I know this, I know this is heavy, but it's, it's, do you know that the word for glory, the Hebrew word kavod, means weight. There's a weight to these words today because I believe God is, God is saying this to you. Somewhere underneath the fumbling mess of Brent Ingersoll and his stupid ideas and words, God's saying something. And it's weighty. Here's the second thing I think we got to lean into. It's not just the pursuit of glory. It's not just the hungry, but God is calling forth the holy. God is calling forth the holy. That we have to learn in this hour to increasingly cling to the words of Jesus. What does it mean to be holy? Does it mean to be stuffy or arrogant or religious? Is that what what holy means? No, I, I, that was a layup, guys. That was an alley-oop. You can dunk that. They're like, no! <laughs> it's not what it means. To be holy 
It's to be like Jesus. And, and in its essence, it's to be set apart. It's to be other. It's to be different. And what makes us different? Or better yet, who? Jesus, his word makes us different. And I, I love this. The, again, thank you, Lord, for Peter, for just taking so many for the team. Just imagine for a minute, though, like the glory of God manifests itself. Jesus is emanating the glories of God, turned up to 11. Moses and Elijah are there, and Peter thinks it's a great time for a speech. It's like, well, it's great to be here. Isn't that amazing? Just like, dude, shut up. And then he, I'll get to this in a minute. He starts offering ideas as how do we, can, we can make this a little better. We can, we, can, we can extend this. I got a business plan all ready to go. You know? But it's, it's, it's important. It's, it's funny, but it's also, it should be sobering because you know what? I think we need to shut up a little bit too. That there's a lot of talk and a lot of chatter that we entertain in the church and this is an hour and a moment that we need to sort of start pushing away all the counterfeit and competing and corrupting and complicating voices and just really start dialing into what has Jesus said and what is Jesus saying. Y'all, let me say it so you hear it. This is a moment to have the word of God hidden in your heart. Like, if you aren't reading your Bible and if you aren't in the Word, like, you, you are not going to be able to go on the journey with Him. Like, you have got to be led. The Word of God is the lamp unto our feet. Not, not self-help, not advice from great minds and thinkers, not speeches. It's the Word of God that guides us forward. And, and I love that, like, by the grace of God, God steps in and is just like, Peter, yo, yo shut it. Listen to him. This is a time, and it's very important. Hear this. Moses and Elijah are there. Two forms of the word. There's the logos, the law. It's what God has said. Amen? God has spoken, and we, you don't have to wonder at some level what God is saying. He's already spoken. And his word, and his, his word does not change, and his nature does not change. He is that he is that he is. He's spoken. And Moses represents that God has spoken. Elijah represents that God still speaks. The rhema is the other word for word. How many of you know there's two words in the Bible for word? Stay with me. Logos and rhema. We believe that God has spoken, logos, and we believe that God is a speaker, rhema. This is why we hold high the authority of Scripture, and we also listen to what God is saying to the church. We, we pray, we prophesy, because God is both a Logos and a Rhema speaker. And we have to know the difference. And don't get them twisted. Like when you, we read a couple weeks ago where Jesus told Peter to come forth and walk on water. That was Rhema for Peter. That's Logos for us. Don't you go try and walk on Reversing Falls this afternoon. Unless you heard the Spirit of the Lord say, and then go for it. Be my guest. But we are in a moment right now where we have got to learn like never before to what? To listen to, listen to him. Here's what it looks like. What does it look like to be a people of the word, responsive to the word of God? First, we need to be people who know we know the word of God. Like we, we've heard it and we've learned it. We've soaked in it. Psalm 1, I meditate on it day and night. It never departs. We've hidden it in our heart. It's a lamp to our feet. Let me ask you the question. Do you know the word of God? 
Are you in the Word of God? Are you, are you reading your Bible? Like this, this, some of you are like, this sounds old school. It is. It's God's school, and it never changes. Like if you are following Jesus and you want to follow where he leads, you know, where, you know how to do that? It's illuminated by the Word of God. Like you've got to get in the Scripture. You've got to read the Bible. You've got to know. This is a moment where we need Christ's mind in us, the mind of Christ. How many of you find the times at very least confusing? We have got to know the word of God. You need to be, any, any, I'll do another movie reference. This might not fail as bad as Final Tap. Remember, remember Mate, The Matrix, the original one? Like anybody Matrix, come on, help a brother out. Okay, like 12 of you, good, I can go with that, good. But Neo, he's going into The Matrix, but before he does that, he loads up on knowledge. He's sitting in that seat, and he's like, more, give me judo, give me taekwondo, I need all the training. It's crass, but it's appropriate. Like, this is a moment we have got to get this in here and in here and in our lifestyles. Like, we got to load up on the Word of God right now. You, you've got to be hidden in it, and you've got to hide it in you. And you've got to get in it, get in it and get it in you. This, this is what we need to do right now. We are being called forth to be a people of the Word of God, and we need to know how to obey and apply it. Like, don't just be hearers of the word, James says. Be doers. Do it. Be obedient to what God has said. Jesus said, anybody who hears my word and puts it into practice is like a wise man who builds his house on a rock. Key word is puts it into practice. It's possible to hear his word and not put it into practice. We've got to learn the word of God, and we've got to be obedient to the word of God, and we've got to know, we've got to know how to hear the voice of God because we're in a moment where it's hard to navigate. I have two kind of guiding principles about the word. Are you, are you still with me? I'll be done soon, I promise. First is we need to know the word of God to overcome the confusion and complexity of the day we live in. Following Jesus in 2023 in Nova Scotia or PEI or Southern New Brunswick is not easy. It's complicated. And if you don't know this word, you are going to be led into a ditch or two. How many know, like, like we live in a time that if you don't know the word, you're gonna get tricked. And how many know the devil will use the word as a weapon against you if you don't know your Bible? Did you see how Jesus was tested by the devil? The devil quoted scripture at him. It's just Jesus knew scripture better and he knew that he was, tired, he was being tricked. The same is with us. Like we live in a time right now. Like let's, 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 t let's take some of the mantras. Love is love. Right? Is that not, that, that makes sense. And Jesus loves everybody. We believe that's true. However, we aren't duped into believing that human beings get to define what love looks like. And if you know your words, you'll know, ah, no, but Jesus defines what love is. And Jesus defines what gender is. And Jesus defines what human sexuality looks like. We have to be people who know the word. You're going to be easily duped. You'll, you'll be led astray. You'll be led to fear. Just this last week, I mean, Melanie and I processed something because she'd, she'd heard uh, Scripture three different times in the same day and she, it freaked her out because she's like, oh, something bad's going to happen. Have you ever have that happen? Anybody honest in church today? Like you, you think God is saying something to you and it causes fear. Well, if you know your Bible though, you'll know that the fruit of the Spirit is, you know, the, the, what God gives us is love, power, and a sound mind. The fruit of the Spirit is, is peace, not anxiety. So we had to determine, oh, because we know the word, we aren't tricked by this into thinking that God has said something to us that is causing us to live in fear, anxiety, and terror. 
if I didn't know the word, we might still be in that mode of being terrified of what's coming. But I know the word. I say that to say, do you know the word? You have to know the word to overcome. And you need to know the word to deal with the clutter that is happening in our world right now. And let me just say this. No, I'll move on. I'll say it for myself anyway. I feel the Lord pressing me to be increasingly narrow-minded in my influences. Does that resonate with anybody? There are, there are influences that are just overtly negative, and we, we know enough as believers that don't need that. But even in some of the influences that are, are coming around my life that are neutral even. Remember a couple weeks ago, I was driving with my son, and this this uh, country song came on, and we're like sort of a guilty pleasure. Uh, the guy's name rhymes with, rhymes with Torgan Solon. And uh, anybody? Okay. And the song came on, and me, and me and Aiden are like singing along to it, and then I hear the lyric, and I'm like, man, I don't want my son or me nodding our heads with that. And I turned it off, and I talked to my son about, look, I, I am not legalistic. And however... The same way I monitor my diet, because if I just eat Cheetos all day, every day, it's going to have bad impl implications on my, my body. I have to monitor what goes in here and here. And there comes a moment where I was like, I, I, can't, I can't eat another helping of that. I need the good stuff. And so we turned it off. But we are in a moment right now, church, hear me, where you have got to learn how to monitor your inputs. And you have got to lower the words that are, uh, you know, even good suggestions, but you, we have got to raise up how much of the word of God we are allowing in here and in here and in here. This is a moment where we need to lean in and hide the word of God in our hearts. And maybe some of you are like, I don't even know how to study the Bible. We will help you. We have a course. King's Academy has a course on how to study the Bible. You can go register for it. We'll walk it out with you and show you. But you have got to get this word in you. This is a moment, let me say it in a couple words, this is a moment where you need to learn to listen to him. This is a moment where you need to learn to listen to him, to hear his voice. Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. How many of you know how much you need to know his voice when you're going through complicated and treacherous areas of life? Because all the voices come at that time. We need to know his voice. Last thought on moving forward. So Peter decides it's a great time for a speech. God, it's good to be here. That's amazing that that's in the scripture. Like just re behold the humanity of Peter and that we are all Peter, just so you know. If you, here's, your, here's your first tip on reading the Bible. You are not the hero. Uh, Jesus is the hero. And in all the stories, you're Peter or you're the guy who got it wrong because that's us. Okay, there you go. There's your first Bible lesson. But here's Peter, and here we are. God, it's great to be here. And then, but look what he does. And this, this is sobering that this is in here, because there is a human, like there's a muscle inside of us that the moment we experience something glorious, even as it relates to God, we will try to systematize programize and extend what God is doing in some kind of programmatic way. What, is, what does Peter do? He's like, this is a great time. Okay, we're experiencing the glory of God. I'm going to build a tabernacle. We're going to have lines over here, over here, and over here. Here's the Moses line. Here's the Elijah line. Here's the Jesus line. We'll probably sell snacks and concessions over there, and uh, it's going to be great. 
And everybody who wants to experience the glory of God can come do it because we know where it is. It's right here on this place, on this day, on this mountain. Y'all, it is a deception of the enemy if we put our hope in a place or a program or a time or even a way that Jesus moved before. We are very quick, people of God, and you can look through our history, we are very quick to memorialize, systematize, and program the glory of God. This is why, this is why um, you'll have some movements in the church that just, just chase after glory because they know the glory dissipated, and so they're trying to recreate the way that God showed up. And this is why like, you'll go into some churches and they will not stop singing the songs that they sung in 1940 because that was the last time they really experienced the glory of God. It's nostalgia. But they lost the person who is glory and, and they started just practicing the, the means or the medium that was there when they experienced the glory of God. Does this, does this make sense? This is complex, but this is, we're on to something here. This is, this is the trouble we get in as believers. We think that we just need to stay in that moment and do those things that got us here. But this is the mistake that Peter's making. Jesus is the point, not the mountaintop, or not even how Jesus showed his glory. Look, look how it ends. It says they looked up and saw no one except Jesus. And I think, I think that's the point that this is trying to make for us, and this is what I think the Spirit is saying to the church, is your job is not to climb the mountain. Your job is not to fabricate the glory of God. Our job is not to meet together as pastors and say, how can we cook up a glorious worship experience? That's not the job. Our job is simply to stay in the presence of King Jesus. And if he leads us up the mountain, awesome, what a view. I'm so hungry for that. If he leads us down the mountain, I'm with him. No matter where he goes, this kingdom is moving forward. And if he came to build another temple, he would have done that. But he didn't. He came to build a people and a movement, not a monument. And we have got to come into a place of maturity that knows, look, I am not simply called to fabricate these experiences of glory. I'm called to simply remain in Jesus. Like abide in him. Let me say it like that. Let me... We can very much get stuck trying to arrive at some certain place or some certain vision of what, you know, worship and church and your life is supposed to look like. But it's not about arriving. It's about abiding. Like, what a tragedy it would have been if Peter suggested we should make some shelters and Jesus goes, idea guy, let's just stop here. Well, the purposes of God would not have been fulfilled. He would never have got to Jerusalem. Pentecost would never have happened. Jesus had more in mind than just them looking at the glory of God. He had his own death, his resurrection, and then get this, Pentecost in mind where he would pour his glory out on all flesh. But we cannot settle for yesterday's glory or even today's glory and get stuck there. We have got to operate in constant pursuit of him every single day. Let me say it like this in, in closing. I noticed this during uh, the pandemic. 
particularly in myself and in our staff, and maybe some of you noticed this as well. We were super disconnected during that time, but I noticed, remember having a conversation with uh, pastors Dan and Anthony one time about how we keep having these moments as, as believers and as a team where it seems like the glory of God just showed up and he filled us. We'd come together for staff retreat. I mean, Seth, uh, Johnny, you remember these times. We'd come together and we were so desperate for God to meet us and he would meet us and we'd have these incredible moments with God and like everything's great. We just had an encounter with God. And then literally the next day, it's like it never even happened. And I remember saying to you, I remember saying to you guys, we used to get more mileage out of the glory of God. We used to get more mileage out of those high mountain moments. And it used to last us for weeks or even months, but now it's like every single day is just we're back at square one. And I felt the Lord whisper, me, whisper to me in that season and just say, the manna I provide in the wilderness only lasts a day. Do you know, you know the story? Like God would supernaturally provide bread for the Israelites in the wilderness, but they couldn't store it up and carry it into tomorrow. It would spoil. And I felt the Lord say to me, the manna I give and the bread I give only lasts a day and I'm trying to teach my people how to come to me constantly, daily. And you are not in this season gonna be able to carry yesterday's glory into tomorrow. You gotta come after new stuff every single day. And this is what I feel like the Spirit is saying to you. So, so like, because some of you remember, like you're still looking back on times like, man, remember that time God did this? You know, you know that God is calling you to a new and increasing glory today. But the key is that you learn to remain and abide in his presence. I want you to stand. I'm going to pray for us as we close. Just, just take a posture for a minute to, to just listen to what the Spirit's saying to you. But I just want to say this just Following Jesus is not about arriving at some particular destination. He is the destination. And he is inviting you to experience more of him even in this season. Hear me, church. He is inviting you to experience a greater measure of his glory in your life, in your personal life, in your family, in your marriage in your workplace, and, and, I, and God, thank you, in our church, I believe he's gonna pour himself out in a new and fresh way, and he's creating hunger in you. And so, Lord, I just bless the hunger you're creating in our church. Maybe some of you just need to pray that prayer, say, I'm not hungry, Lord, make me hungry. Just pray, just ask him, Lord, make, my, make me hungry. Help my wanting. Give me an increased dissatisfaction for the things of this world things that can't eternally satisfy and fulfill. Lord, thank you for the hunger. Just ask him for hunger. Uh, Lord, I pray right now over our church, would you help us be creatures of your word? Would you help us just stop leaning on human opinion and ingenuity and help us lean on your everlasting, powerful, unchanging word like never before? God, I pray for tools and ability within, within our church, Lord, just to be able to be trained and shaped and filled and satisfied by your word of God. And then, Father, I pray right now over my brothers and sisters, I ask, Lord, for grace in the secret place. 
Lord, I pray for my, my brothers and sisters who have never even experienced you in that kind of one-on-one daily way. Lord, I pray that you would just give grace to just be with you. Lord, forgive us, God. I just, I just pray for us as a church and myself. Lord, forgive us for the ways we've tried to enshrine a moment and build a monument and we forgot that, Jesus, you're the point. And so, Lord, I pray in increasing measure we would learn to abide and remain in you. So, God, we just say, would you just agree with me in your heart, just all across our church, we, we just give you permission, Lord, to lead us forward. We say we want what you have for us. We want to see your glory poured out in us. We want to see your glory poured out through us. Lord, would you pour out your glory in King's Church and in all these families and people that make King's Church up, would you pour out your glory in such a way that it pours over and it tips out of, this, out of these rooms that we gather in into the streets, Lord, and we pray for an outpouring of your Holy Spirit in Atlantic Canada. But Lord, we just say, do it in us first. Revive us. Revive us, we pray. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen.